Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online, brought to you by Gulliver's Sports Travel. My name is Matt Southgoom and I'm your host today and it's a bit of a one-man show. I was out in Dublin on Wednesday for the launch of the Guinness Pro 14, representatives from all 14 teams there and uh, league officials at the Aviva Stadium out there in Dublin, so we've got plenty of material for you today. Um, coming up later on the show, we've got an interview with Danny Wilson for you, interview with Dragons head coach Bernard Jackman for you as well. I've also had a chat with the Ospreys injured flanker Dan Lydiat, who's close to making his return to action. Lots to talk about in that one. Then finally, we've got interviews with Ken Owens, Scarlet's captain, and league official Martin Anai. So there's lots to come in the show. Uh, let's not delay things any further. First up, we've got that chat with Danny Wilson for you. Now, the Blues, um, one of their main goals this season is to actually break into that, what would have been the top six. They want to be in the Champions Cup, obviously, this year with the revamped league. It just needs to be the top seven overall. Um, so that's their objective because they've been knocking around that seventh position for quite a while now. Um, the last two seasons, in fact, uh, whilst Danny Wilson has been in charge. And I spoke to him about solving that consistency issue. We saw last year they were very good in patches and then they dipped in the middle of the season and came good again towards the end. So the key for them is trying to get that consistency. Here's the chat I had with Danny Wilson on Wednesday. Danny Gethin mentioned that um, the Blues have been knocking around in sort of sixth, seventh place in the league the last few years. Has that been talked about in pre-season in terms of your goals for this year coming up? Yeah, last two seasons it's been we finished seventh. Um, I think we finished ninth or tenth before that. Um, and yeah, we want to make that bridge that gap for what we were aiming for European qualification, which was top six. Um, I'm right in saying now top seven. So the place we finished the last two years would have qualified us. That's, that's our ultimate goal at the moment, is to get back into European competition through qualification through the league. Obviously, as a goal, we want to achieve far more than that. Um, we want to you know, improve to become a top four team and, and be qualifying for the latter stages of this competition. But uh, ultimately, European qualification for the club's point of view is our first and foremost. And we finished five points off Glasgow last season in seventh. So, you know, that one win that maybe would have um, got us over the line. Yeah. You've obviously been there two years now. What do you want your Cardiff Blues to be known for? What if people think of, of your Cardiff Blues? What do you want them to think? I think already um, the attacking style that we play is, is, is currently our identity. Um, we score a lot of tries. We, we play a pretty expansive style of rugby, um, a high-speed style of rugby. When we get that right, I think we're pretty devastating or can be an attack. Um, we've got to improve our defensive record. you know. And What I like to walk away with is, is that the defensive side of our game has caught up with the way we attack and we've got a little bit more... Um, solidity in terms of the way we defend and I think uh, Sean Edwards coming on board is, is certainly uh, a step towards that. Yeah. There was a few sort of, you played very well for periods last year and then it sort of dropped off. As a coach, how do you go about solving that sort of consistency problem? Um, I think, first of all, you have a, a depth of squad, that's what we're aiming to produce. That That's going to take us a little bit of time because we're not going to find that depth through finances, we're going to find it through producing from within. Um, we've added to our development sort of uh, staffing and structure within our business to, to hopefully uh, allow that to happen in the future. A lot of young players coming through, but with young players obviously comes a little bit of ex uh, inconsistency. So you know, what I think you saw last year when we had a, a pretty healthy squad, when as an example our first four games on the bounce and I think you know last four or five games we were in a similar sort of position with um, many good wins in those two ends of the season perhaps the inconsistency came in the middle part of the season uh, one where our highest 
injury rate was, but the best squads, the, 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 the best, uh, the top four especially, have the depth to be able to deal with those periods. And we perhaps, uh, that's the next step for us, is to be able to deal with those periods. And that will be done by, like I said, um, introducing slowly but surely and having some patience for some of the younger players that will be our future. Have you begun to do much homework on the two new South African teams, or are you waiting until later? Um, little bits, but but later in the season for us is when we play them, so perhaps not under the same pressure to to analyse them as quickly. And I think um, I know both play a fair bit of expansive rugby, and uh, I think that um, when we've seen them play a number of games in this league and how they. Um, deal with what this league is about but we'll, we'll get a much better idea then okay so that's what Danny Wilson had to say about things we'll move on to the Dragons now like I said to you earlier we collared Dragons boss Bernard Jackman it's been a bit of a whirlwind summer for him um, I spoke to him about what appealed to him about taking on this job at Rodney Parade obviously a team the Dragons have been struggling quite for quite a few years now it can be quite an intimidating task but he saw it in a different light he saw it as an opportunity to start with a clean slate and really implement the things that he wanted to do. I also spoke to him about what kind of pressure he might feel he's under. Um, obviously, it's been a big summer for the Dragons. It's seen as a new dawn for the region. And with that, and everything that's come with the Union takeover, the new pitch, uh, the new kit, some new signings as well, with that obviously comes pressure for success. So I spoke to him about how he feels about all that, and a little bit more. Here's the chat I had with him. So Bernard, uh, how have you settled in? Yeah, settling well, I think... Um just got stuck into work to be honest and uh, trying to make the, the changes we need to make to to improve our performance levels um, but being really happy the people in, in Newport and in, in Gwent have been um, incredibly welcoming and uh, yeah I've enjoyed, enjoyed getting to know uh, I suppose passionate rugby fans in the region What was it that appealed to you about this job when it came about? I think it's pretty much starting on a blank page um, you know new ownership um, good talent in the region poor previous track record um, change of name new start and uh, a chance to I suppose put a structure together that I believe will will, will, will lead to us being a winning franchise and a winning region um, and sometimes when you inherit a job and there's a, there's a big staff already contracted uh, you actually can't really make those changes immediately whereas we had a small staff and there was there was obvious gaps in our in our organisation that we needed to fill and um, I was able to suppose, start on a blank page as I said and go out and recruit uh, people I know will will help us get uh, get started on our journey and and and, and make us make us uh, perform. You, you touched on the previous form and you've touched on that it's being viewed as a bit of a new dawn for the region. Does that bring about its own pressures in terms of delivering? Yeah, absolutely. But if, if you don't have pressure on you, um, you know you're not going to perform. So. Elite sport is about pressure. Um, we're always being tested. We're tested every day at training. We're tested for sure in an even bigger way on a Saturday. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about the fact there's expectation. You know, I'm excited about the fact there's pressure to perform. But last year and the year before, the players were under pressure to survive. You know, and it's, I'd rather be under pressure to perform than be worried about whether you know I'm going to have a job next year or whether your wage is going to be paid. So, as a as an organisation, the WRU are giving us that that support structure. Um, and again, I, there's still massive pressure, but it's a pressure to develop, to see signs of, of improvement, um, to build a, a fan base, um, to win in a Dragons jersey, um, hopefully produce players who are going to play for Wales, um, hopefully bring the Dragons to be a Champions Cup side. All those things are pressures, um, but it can't, as a, and what experience gives you as a coach is you know, the process and actually, well, how do, what do I need to create to get us there? And that's. Um, 
that's the exciting part of actually living that day to day. You know? what, what's the biggest challenge you face at the moment as a head coach? Um, trying to get everything in place as quickly as possible. So obviously, I want to de- create a, a style of play and attack. Obviously, we need to improve our defence. My defence coach arrived two weeks ago. Um, so the first league game is in ten days. Can you can you create a defensive system uh, that's rock solid in three and a half weeks? Probably not. Uh, but can we get to a level where defence doesn't cost us wins? Um, and that's obviously our goal. But we know it's going to take a year to develop our attack. I think it's going to take us a year to develop the skill set and the understanding of our uh, of our defence. Um, and that's just the way it is. But how many wins can we get while we're while we're learning and while we're growing? And that's uh, that's the that's the biggest pressure at the moment. And just finally, then, what, what would you constitute as a successful first season at the Dragons? Um, I'd like us to be unbeaten at home, uh, but I'd like us to see some of those players that people say have potential start to come true. My dad always said to me, you know, potential will get you a mortgage, but it won't pay it off. So everyone says there's loads of potential in the Dragons, but let's start to, to, to pay it off. Let's start to show it week in, week out. Um, if your aspiration is to be a, a Dragons first choice, well then, you know, let's let's see that happen on the on the training field and on the pitch. If we get enough of that right, you know, our results will be a hell of a lot better. I don't know how good we can get quickly. I don't I don't want to give it we're gonna win ten games or eleven games. Um, but I wanna see those root those those roots um, starting to, to show, you know, week in week out in different areas in terms of uh, the foundations of our game but also in terms of the personnel. Um, we get that right, um, we'll we'll be on the right track. Bernard, all the best for the season. Thanks very much. Okay, so that's what I spoke to Bernard Jackman about. Great line in there about paying off your mortgage. I enjoyed that one. Um, Next up, we'll go to the Ospreys, and I spoke to Dan Lydia. I was really looking forward to this interview because someone someone who's got a story to tell, obviously he missed the large part of last season, picking up a serious injury in the autumn during the the win over South Africa. Um, As a consequence, he hasn't played rugby since. Um, He's close to coming back. There's no, as he'll come on to tell you now, there's no exact return date um, but he's just looking forward to getting out on the field. I spoke to him about what it was like to be watching on from afar this summer. Obviously, we've seen the emergence of Ross Moriarty and Lydia absent with Wales and subsequently with the Lions as well. Lydia played a key role in the Lions tour in 2013 but couldn't take part this time around. And he was doing events in Cardiff and I got the impression that there was a lot of places he'd rather be than doing those events in Cardiff. Um, I also spoke to him about the Ospreys. Um, last season, there was... A bit of a collapse towards the end of the year. Um, I spoke to him about how that is being dealt with in the region, looking forward to the new Pro 14 season. So here's a chat I had with Dan Lydiot. Okay, so Dan, um, obviously a tough, tough year for you last year. When you look back, what would you say is the over- overriding emotion when you look back at last season? Um, obviously disappointment. Um, you know, there's sort of no good time to get injured, but. Obviously, you miss out on a, you know a lot of games, um, but it's sort of uh, the nature of the beast. You know, every player you know pick up injuries through through the career. There's a couple of boys here today coming back from ACL reconstructions as well, so uh, had plenty to chat about. But um, yeah, it, it is what it is. But you know, I'm I'm sort of on track now to you know get back for the season. So uh, I'm just looking forward to lacing my boots up and getting back out there. Was it? Like you said, it's never a good time to get injured, but was it difficult to watch Wales, Six Nations, and then obviously the Lions in the summer? Was it tough to be sat in your house back home while all that was going on on the other side of the world? Um, yeah, obviously, you know, even watching the Ospreys games from the stands is, is hard as a, as a player. I'm not, I'm not the best spectator because I just, I just want to uh, play the rugby, but you sort of, it, it is what it is. You just sort of get on with it and 
you know, it almost gives you more motivation when you're, you're back training then to put you know, a bit more into you know, trying to get back as quick as you can. But it is frustrating, don't get me wrong, and you know, there's ups and downs, but you just have to get on with it. You know, there's worse things in life, so um, I guess I'm, I'm on the right track now, which is the main thing. Talk me through what, what your typical sort of day looked like um, throughout the sort of back end of your rehab, which I guess came over the summer. Um, Talk me through what you would have been doing on a day-to-day basis. Um, obviously, you know, first protocol is checking with the physios. Um, we have our schedule sent out for the day to see what you know sessions we're involved in, and then depending on how much sort of meterage I run in the week, you know, I have certain targets to hit each week and certain things to you know tick off to make sure I covered off. Um, and then, as obviously, the closer you get, the more involved you get in with the the boys. So. You're going from being sort of one-on-one with a physio to actually interacting a bit more with the boys. Um, but you know, every sort of, sort of player goes through through it, and, and there's always sort of an injured crew as well. So you have your own sort of banter uh, amongst the injured crew. But um, yeah, obviously you have your, your different weight sessions, you know, your physio sessions with with rehab, and then you've got your conditioning. So. If you've got sort of a, a lower limb injury, you're doing a body conditioning, sort of off feet conditioning, and then obviously as you progress, and progress into obviously you know starting off to run, so running for the first time, and then you start building that up, so you start um, blowing the cobwebs off off the the chest, which is always hard, um, and then sort of the last sort of progression, then is obviously your, your line out work, you know, going up and landing, and. Um, Final thing is obviously the contact, so yeah. that's the sort of the the progression I'm into now is starting to get uh, bumps and bruises again. So you spent spent a lot of time with the physios at the Ospreys basically over the summer. Then. Yeah, we're all uh, we're all best pals now. <laughs> and now that you know, I can't I can't fault the the treatment I've had. Um, Osprey has been absolutely brilliant with the with me, and um, you know it's really been a real good program that they put together. So been out for a, a long time but um, you know they've they kept um, mixing up the sessions as well so it wasn't just monotonous same stuff every day which is, which has been good so you know, I'm, uh, I've got to give them massive credit. Obviously you now looking towards it what is your return date at the moment is it still the second week of the season was it? Um, they haven't given me a proper return date they just yeah. said it'd be around September yeah. so you know, I don't think I'm going to be there for the first game and that but um, we're just building in and obviously with uh, depends how the boys go with, with selection as well you know mm. I might be ready and fit for a game but it's obviously if when when Steve and uh, the other coaching team want to put me in as well so yeah. we'll just have to wait and see but um, you know, I'd be excited to get back into it it'd be nice to especially get that first game out of the way What's your sort of mindset now is you've had a long time out and now you're finally on the verge of going back into into the field of play, what's what's your mindset at the moment? Um, I think it's just like you obviously you don't realise what you've got until till it's gone, sort of thing. So obviously missing out on so much rugby, um, I'm just really desperate to get back into it. And I mean, you know, for me, touch wood, just actually get through first few games, and then <coughs> hopefully I can start picking up a bit of form. But you know, I've been I've been out for a while now, so. Obviously, there's going to be a bit of rustiness there, yeah. but you know, the more sort of rugby I can get underneath my belt in terms of training with the boys and stuff, hopefully, it'll, it'll come back. Again. Obviously, you had to watch on as the Ospreys had a difficult end to the season, sort of a dip in form there. 
Has that been talked about in training? Has, has there been has that been quite an open process in terms of making a thing of putting that right this season? Yeah, I think it's just obviously being consistent, uh, consistent all the way through the year. You know, for three quarters of the year we were bang on the money, but at the end of the season when, when it counted, you know, as you said, we we dropped off, which is it's not good enough. Um, but it's something obviously we want to build on from last season, um, and hopefully we'll. You know, same with any team here. You you want to win prizes, and um, whereas we dropped off last year towards the end of the season, we have to keep on pushing on. So, then we want to be playing here in the in the final at the end of end of the season. Talk about just go back slightly. Talk about over the summer. Did you watch the matches from afar? Were you sat on the sofa on Saturday mornings watching? Um, I know you said you're not the best watcher in the world. Yeah, I, I actually um, I was um, I was watching them in Cardiff. Um, so I was at a couple of events doing uh, doing sort of the pre-match stuff and that, but it, it, it is hard because you know all you want to be is over there. But um, you know they've got to give credit to the to the Lions that from where they started um, um, on tour, people thought oh it's going to be a whitewash, but it shows a sort of grit and determination. And I think it all comes from the team bonding so much together as a squad that you know they dug it out and. And I thought it was, you know, it was a fair result in the end. It could have, it could have gone either way, but um, no, it was, it was a hell of a spectacle. And you know, then tours are brutal that you don't get much time off. So at the the back end of a heavy season for them to put in the performances they did, it's all credit to the the coaches, the backroom staff, and especially the players. So uh, no, it's, it was it was a bit of an anticlimax um, with the last game, but it, you know, for a spectacle at World Rugby, it was, it was a great advert. And just finally, what have you made of um, the Welsh back row over the over the last sort of few months? And and how do you think? How do you look at that challenge going forward? I assume your goal would obviously be to try and break back into that Wales team. And what do you make of the challenges posed by players like Ross Moriarty now, for example? Yeah, you know the, the strength and depth in the, in in the back row. Just yeah, you know, talking about our, our region, but the other regions as well. And the boys that went on the summer tour for for Wales, you know, certainly put their hand up. But you know, like you said, um, the boys actually went on the, the Lions tour. The four of them, uh, you know, they're, they're really world class players. Um, it's, you know, there's no doubt it's going to be hard to try and get back in into that you know, that Welsh setup, but. Um, it's sort of lasting on my mind for the time being. Obviously, I've still got a bit of my rehab to uh, to go. So just just getting back out on the pitch um, is, is sort of my um, first goal. It's sort of about baby steps. So I never look too far ahead because, as a as I've experienced, I know if you don't look too far ahead, you end up getting cropped up and getting injured and stuff. So I just take it a week at a time. But yeah, the the strength and depth in Wales is really coming now and. You know, the likes of Ross Moriarty, you know, he was lucky uh, on tour to get injured with uh, with back spasms because up till then he was having a hell of a season and certainly had a you know a massive year for for the national team. So um, I'm sure he'll want to kick on again this season and obviously with the likes of Sam uh, playing six and seven and obviously playing with tips down at the Ospreys, you know how what quality player he is and. And Toby's sort of Mr. Consistent for me. Um, you know, I thought he had a, a really good tour, um, and, and it, especially in the big games, he is you know, a world class player. So, without you know them four, you've obviously got the up and comers as well that uh, went on went on the summer tour and, and 
and like I said, but my first priority is just trying to get back in the Ospreys team and hopefully then I can sort of pick up some some form. So baby steps for me. Dan, all the best for the season. Brilliant, thank you. Okay then, so next up is the Champions and the Scarlets. I talked to skipper Ken Owens at the launch in Dublin earlier this week. It's been a bit of a whirlwind summer for Ken Owens, obviously going on the Lions tour, so I spoke to him a little bit about that. Um, I spoke to him about, as well, what it was like to watch on from the sidelines during the playoffs last season, because obviously Ken picked up that ankle injury and was rested for the playoffs in order to become fit for the Lions, and I can imagine that was a very difficult situation for him to be in. He spoke about wanting to, you know, he'd only played in one playoffs for the Scarlets up until that point, so it was a big a big occasion for him as a captain and he missed out on it so I spoke to him about the emotion that goes along with that and obviously I spoke to him a little bit about Lee Halfpenny as well and what he's going to bring to the region so here's the chat I had with Ken Owens in Dublin on Wednesday Ken, quite a summer um, how did you look back on it? Yeah, you know it was um, you know, a great couple of months you know, to obviously um, Scarlets winning the league first, first and foremost. You know the boys were outstanding uh, in the last couple of weeks of the season. They uh, produced the form that they did and and, uh, and the work they put in. They got a you know great win out uh, against Manchester in the final. And um, and then you know obviously a great Lions tour, which um, you know I think when you, you know, we were slightly disappointed initially. But, uh, and not winning it just because that, that was the target we'd set before going. I think we had the quality of players there, but I think when you when you look look at it, the Lions have only won one Test series in however many attempts in 130 odd years or so to um, you know to draw a series and uh, you know against uh, the double double world champions is uh, is not too bad, and especially what they done to Australia last week. I think puts into perspective the the achievement that. That we that we had out there. Did it take you a while for your sort of perception of the result to change? Um, no, I think you no. Know, it's a bit surreal because we're not really quite sure what, what, what was going to happen in the end there. <laughs> and then um, you know that's what I just said there is pretty much what Gat said in the changing room after. And, uh, and I think we look back and as a as a huge achievement. Did you know personally what the when the final whistle went? Did, did you know what to do? Did it, did anyone know what to do? No, I think because. It was a little bit well we drawn and it was yeah and it was a little bit do you celebrate a draw or, or what I'm not sure and uh, no it was it, yeah it was a little, little bit like that for for you know for a, a couple of minutes or so and then once you start to get your head round then you know the presentations going on you see Sam and, and Kieran Reid up there lifting lifting the trophy together you know it's um, you know it's definitely not a loss is it. Is there anybody just one more on the lines? Any more? Anyone that you look at in a different light now than perhaps you might have before? Um, no, you know, obviously, I knew a lot of the boys reasonably well, but you know, there's there's no egos on the trip. To be fair, and everybody got along with each other, and from from day one, everybody bought into the into what we were about and what we were trying to achieve out there. And I think um, that's that's one thing that the squad had, and everybody right until you know the last. Couple of weeks when sort of a split could have emerged between like a, a midweek sort of team and a test team that everybody stayed on the same script and really bought into it. Yeah. So obviously a great great end of the season for the Scarlet. You unfortunately you were sidelined. What was it like to watch that final and semi final from from the stands? Um, yeah, it was wasn't ideal because obviously we waited a long time. Only played one one playoff game for the for the Scarlets back in 2013 and. 
obviously to miss that um, an injury picked up at the start of the week in training was was devastating and but you know that's rugby at the end of the day and I was you know obviously disappointed not to be a part of it and under playing it but you know I, I think you know, Ryan Elias was outstanding in both the semi and the final and I think that's that's the quality we got on the side now and how what's been part of our success is when boys have needed to they've they've stepped up and and uh, and put a, a shift in for the shirt and for each other and I think that's what our big strength in our squad is at the moment and um, you know for for me it was was obviously hugely disappointed because I've waited a long time to try and win something at the Scarlets and and be part of a winning winning team and um, you know. It's slightly different now. You say if you haven't played in the final, you, you feel a little bit as if you haven't won it. But you know, it was a huge forty odd man squad effort right through the season, and um, you know the the victory was for the whole squad. And you know what the boys produced here in the final was I've I've never seen a, a performance like that from a from a Scarlet team. You know, it was uh, it was absolutely outstanding, and it was it was on the money for eighty minutes. Does that serve as extra motivation for you, perhaps this season? It does. I think. Um, you know we've we're going to be a target now instead of uh, coming under the radar, which which is a you know the the squad we got they they relish challenges like that they they, they we've got a huge amount of confidence in our own ability as a squad and that's that's not being arrogant or, or big headed. It's and I don't think we we ever showed that, but we just got confidence and we go out there to to enjoy ourselves, express ourselves, and and work hard for each other. And I think if we can deliver that. I think we're in a better place now than where we were at this time last year during pre-season. Um, you know, still some things to work on and improve on, and you know, get some some of the international boys right up to speed. And um, you know, myself, John, and Lee are coming back in a little bit later. You know, hopefully we'll um, we'll get a better start to the season than we had last year. But it's about building on the success of of last year and. Um, and kicking on to to another level, which I think we've we've got the quality to do, but it's a, it's about just about delivering it now. On a on a personal level, having missed the playoffs, does it serve as motivation for you personally to get back there again this season, or does it perhaps not come into thinking? No, I think uh, it's, it's not about me. It's not you know missing last year. That's that's rugby. You get injured and you've got to got to get on with it. For me, I want to get back into the playoffs because I'll be a. Uh, a target for us as a squad as, a, as an, an absolute bare minimum. You know, we set three targets for ourselves last year and we achieved all three. The season before, we, we set three targets, we hit two of them three. But so we love targets for this season, and um, and one of them will be being in the playoffs as a bare minimum within the Pro 14. I think that's more than achievable. Um, you know, we'd like to perhaps be able to go to the next level and get a, a home semi. Uh, which I think is, if we start the season well, is well within our grasp. But I think you know the bare minimum is is playoffs. I got to ask you about Lee as well. What, what does it do for the region bringing in a player like Lee Halfpenny? I think losing um, losing Lee and Williams, you know, is, is a huge void because of the, the quality of player he is. And I think bringing the region have been bold with with the, along with the WIU to bring in. You know, a player of Lee's quality and experience. You know, Lee's a world-class fullback in his own right, and you know we've we've swapped one world-class fullback for for another. And I think Lee's brought a huge amount to the squad already in this first couple of weeks. You know, he's, he's, his professionalism and uh, the way 
he is in training, you know, rubs off on, on all the boys. And you know, the example he sets, uh, a lot of the young boys will will improve them. And you know, Wayne said earlier he was out kicking the other day, and he was out there with one of the the young academy boys. And I think, you know, for for that young academy boy to to be kicking with the the best goal kicker in the world, you know, is is only going to develop him for. You know, for for us in in a couple of years to come, and I think you know what he what he adds, you know, both on and off the field is, is going to be massive for us as a as a squad. Lee had a bit of a, by his standards, a, a tough summer. There was a lot written and said about him. What what did you make of some of the criticism that he received? Yeah, I think it's it's hugely unfair. You know, Lee didn't really didn't put a foot wrong in when he played. Although he, you know he played pretty well on the Lions tour. I think um, sometimes selection doesn't quite go your way, and um, you know. Likes of Elliot Daly and Liam Williams and Anthony Watson and Jack Noel, the other back three players who were on the tour, they they you know had good tours as well. And I think that's when you you're touring with the Lions and you've got a quality of player that, that was on that tour. You know some quality players are going to miss out, and you know Lee will obviously be frustrated with that because he's he's a world class player and. Uh, I think he's just looking forward to now hitting the ground running with us and, uh, and getting an opportunity to play, you know, a really exciting brand of rugby and um, he's, he's chopping the bit to get out on the field. And finally, at the launch on Wednesday, I spoke to Guinness Pro 14 Chief Executive Martin Anayi. Um I was there with a couple of other journalists quizzing him on various things. Obviously, the South African expansion was topic number one. Um, and we spoke to him about a possible further expansion. There's a suggestion that other South African teams might be watching this quite closely to see how it goes, uh, and perhaps it may appeal to them when their contracts are up with Sansa. Um, we also spoke about how the league are going to start looking at various digital platforms in order to try and engage new audiences and keep current audiences engaged in the league as well. It's a very interesting chat, it's a bit of a long one, but if you stick with it, I promise you it is interesting all the way through. So here's what he had to say. Yeah, I mean, we, we've concentrated, I mean, imagine uh, the work that goes into getting Southern Kings and the Toyota Cheetahs to a position where they can come into our tournament with changing the format and, and so on. Um, we've concentrated on that 100% and uh, we're excited by that because the rugby hotbed, it's a, it's a phrase that gets used too often, I know, but if you've been to Free State or you've been to Eastern Cape, that's exactly what it is. Rugby is played there um, and it's a really, really fundamental part of the school system Club, club competition is very strong there and South African Rugby Union were really clear with what they're trying to achieve in both of those two provinces both those franchises was keep South African players in those areas in those professional teams and that's what we're focusing on you know, to make sure that's right first and foremost before we look take our eyes off the prize and, and, and uh, get, that, get that done right And is there a thing where like the like there was talk about maybe bringing in a few more talents. It's kind of been a short recruitment window for those guys, but yeah. uh, getting in a few more international standard players and stuff like you, almost kind of uh, being a little bit biased towards it. Would you like to see them coming in and do well, starting to beat teams? Like you, do, you want to see them really competing in the first season as well? We've been actually, and um, we've been heavily involved with that process because because it was so late 
and we wanted to make sure that everything was right from a logistics, player welfare and all that kind of thing that goes into making sure we got World Rugby approval and the conditions that come with that. Um, you know, it was late for the for the Kings and they lost they lost a few players. They retained 15 out of their Super Rugby squad. Um, but a few key players have moved on. They've subsequently tried to come back again, oh, really, yeah. uh, which I think is a great sign because the only reason they were moving on was because there was an opportunity somewhere else that they might not have known mm-hmm. was in, on their own doorstep. So I think that's a really good sign. Um, cheaters are, are a different kettle of fish, if you like. They've retained pretty much their whole squad. They've split you know, the top of the log on the Curry Cup, defending champions, and they've got the ability to have 50-man squad and they'll play basically two squads, two different coaching staffs in the two different competitions. Mm-hmm. The Kings are a different, starting from a different point, and they've, you know, what we've seen is South African Rugby Union, but also the other provinces have rallied around them. Said, okay, right, we'll get you the players you need to be competitive. They've been training together for two weeks, and, uh, you know, it's going to be relatively tough starting against defending champions. Um, but give them a bit of time and they'll come good, and as you say, big part of South African Rugby Union's strategy is to put international Springboks in those two teams because um, and they've been relatively vocal on this is they want international players playing in both the South, Southern Hemisphere competition and the North which is going to be good for us mm-hmm. Was this simply too good an opportunity for Pro 12 to, to go into a, a rugby market that already existed rather than try and because we've heard a lot about yeah. North America, where you'd be, you'd have, you wouldn't be starting from scratch, but you'd be a lot further away. Yeah, I and mean, so we, uh, we, forgive me if I'm repeating stuff you've already heard up there, but you know we go into this looking at different conditions of expansion. We, we at the start said we wanted to expand the tournament. It's the only way that we, as a tournament, can be competitive uh, on the pitch and off the pitch commercially with the English league and the French league. Um, was by looking at multi-territories and then going to each territory and saying, right, we're going to be the biggest competition in that territory and then we aggregate that, that commercial uh, clout and then we deliver that back to the clubs. And as a result of that aggregation, we get close to where the English are now, uh, maybe less so with the French, but you know we get closer to parity on, on the competitive set. But without... A key part of, of that is making sure that the player welfare point of view is there, making sure that the structure of the tournament can hold these new teams, making sure that you can operate in 24 weekends because there's not really any other weekends you can operate in. And also on top of that, you know, the team's got to be competitive. So there was a lot of areas that needed to be satisfied. And what happened with the South Africans is because they ticked a lot of those boxes straight away process was remarkably quick whereas in the other territories that we're looking and we're still we still are looking at um it's just a longer timeline because a few of those boxes aren't necessarily ticked straight away do you, th- you you've obviously had to look at a whole panoply of things in a very short period of time do you think you've done enough to engage with the fans on this do, do people are still from what i hear there's still a puzzlement about conferences and how it's going to work and yeah but there's there's more to do I think we we put a hopefully a good explainer out there um, when we release the the news. When you go when you move from direct ladder home and away to a conference, it's automatically going to be more complicated. But what we said is okay if there are some core principles that we stick to, every team plays every other team, you know, retain the derby games and make the conference playoff system as simple as possible. Top three get in, no matter where you're from. Then it's relatively straightforward. Once the season 
kicks into uh, gear and the broadcasters start putting it out there, it'll all make sense. I, mean, I think it makes sense now, but it is more complicated than a straight home away ladder, but it's the only way you can expand the tournament with the weekends that you've got. So we try to make it as simple as possible in a more complicated format. You're looking at the broadcast situation that the television deal ends at the end of this of this season. Yeah. Um, do you think there's going to be a radical change to the TV deal from next season? I, I already know there is. Yeah. You know, so it's work. It's it's working. You know, what we've created is a is a a tournament that has a renewed vigor, has got teams that have come in with five tier one nations now in it and participating actively in it to ensure that there's more international players that come through and are more competitive um, and the broadcasters and sponsors and, and so on have reacted well to that. But can, can, am I wrong in thinking that maybe next year this will go exclusively to satellite television with highlights packages on terrestrial? All of those options are on the table because you have to, in our, in our position, I think the, the core tenant, the most important thing is that we allow our clubs to be competitive on the pitch and that means you have to generate as much revenue off it both from fans coming through the gate and also from television or sponsorship or whatever the other revenue streams that we are producing centrally for them um, so there's an argument either way if you put more if you put more uh, exclusively onto pay you might see more people come through the gate arguably I mean every single game that we currently do is is shown on free to air so there is a tipping point where that makes it easier to watch it on TV than actually to go to the game itself um, so there might be a, a rebalancing of that um, but I would never rule out going exclusively to pay because it's, it's worked for other sports that are at the point that we are in our life cycle and this is a big decision it's a big change can you see a situation where you might start looking at video on demand coverage streaming that is is this competition in a position to do things differently? You've made this leap. Can you can you see yourself going and saying, yeah. right, we're going to start selling season ticket packages for teams, just follow one team or two teams or stuff like that? So, we, yeah, I, I'll take your first point around um, how we get our content out there. So we're already all automatically um, this season investing more into our digital and we're bringing Hawkeye in on the medical and judicial but has a social media uh, aspect to it as well. So the more we, the more we understand um, what our fans want to see, but also people that aren't fans currently want to see. Um, you know, there is a multiple of things that somebody who is below twenty can go and do, and just happens that, rug, that rugby um, has a, a much higher demographic age band than let's let's say netball. You know, or other sports out there who are targeting purely a younger audience and are growing. And we're growing, we're growing at a single digit growth. We should be growing at double digit growth. The best way to do that is go after a new fan who isn't currently engaged with, with your product. And, you know, like me, I, I very rarely watch a full game from start to the finish live on terrestrial TV. I watch it on the iPlayer, I watch it highlights, I watch it on social media. And I do that for every every sport I'm interested in. It's how I consume Super Rugby. As soon as it comes out, it's on Facebook. It's a great way to interact with a new, well, any audience, but a new audience. And if it is, you know, I read this morning 
that most people below the age of 20 aren't even on Facebook and you've got to go to Instagram and Snapchat, then that's where we need to be. Do you think possibly, though, that that could alienate an audience as well, though, in that, you know, the people are, we, we were having a conversation here, people are giving out about the soccer now because you don't know what channel it's on, even the GAA, you don't know what channel it's on, so you don't, you, 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 you start to stop watching it and, and become more disengaged than actually, you know. I think you have to do both. I think, you, you know, NFL is a really good example where they've got a multi-billion dollar TV contract, but they've also done a $10 million Twitter deal. So, you know, you've got the ability, and, and if NFL can do it, then we can do it. You know, not the 10 million, but you know, but the, the, the NFL, same principle applies. The, the NFL broadcast outside of the area where the match is on, it can block it where the match is on. So, therefore, you're promoting people going to the game in the locality, but still broadcasting it nationally. Whereas we may have this technology, but we, it's definitely not used anyway in Ireland or, or, or in Europe at the moment. I, I, so, I, I, when I first came in, I thought actually there's got to be something in fully free to air and you know crowds that aren't growing as fast as I want them to grow but actually it's market by market if you go to Belfast on a Friday night and you see it from our statistics there are more people than ever watching on TV linear TV there are bigger crowds than they've ever been coming through the gate and there's 39,000 people watching on an iPlayer that's growing every every week and we that would suggest that actually it's got to be market by market. You can't take one approach for all. You know that is that is a situation where the broadcaster, the radio station, the online platform is helping grow the actual people through the turnstiles as well. So you wouldn't want to do anything centrally that just blanket approach that then cuts them off, and they suddenly can't make as much money and revenue as, as they that they could otherwise have done. But that might be different in Wales. So again, we might look at it, look at it different, more, you know, in a different fashion in Wales. But I think one blanket approach for us, because we're so varied in the different audiences that we've got, even on this island of Ireland, you know, I think we'd be, be really careful about just having a blanket approach to what we do next. Are you afraid of anything in this? This the expansion? Does anything? Uh, I don't sleep, so if that is a good <laughs> indication of uh, that's more because I've got a two-year-old. Um, no, yeah, I mean, it's fear is the thing that drives you, ultimately, if you, and risk. Gerald Davis, our great chairman, mentioned the word risk. If you, if you aren't engaging in an opportunity that, that has an element of risk to it, then that's not a, comp- yeah, it's not a competition or a business that I want to be involved with. If you, and I'm a lawyer by trade, so risk is the most important thing to me. It's a thing that I start with. But very quickly with this opportunity, risk was mitigated and is mitigated. And you continue to look at that risk, but the benefits just far exceed the risk. And obviously, Pro 14 are going to drive this forward, but you're going to need the the organisations, clubs, if you want to call them that. They're going to be an integral part of of driving that. How tight is the relationship on that? Are they all fully behind this? Yeah. So I I see the CEOs of our clubs, provinces, regions, but yeah, calling clubs, um, four times a year, but. I'm on the phone every week and we went through a process we went to see all of them and unanimous you know, something that those conditions player welfare was a key condition revenue was a key condition and competitive set was a, was a key condition all the things that you'd expect them to say um, but were they unanimous in the fact that they wanted to play in South Africa 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the same answer, by the way, on those other markets that we might be looking at in the future. And that's a key, mm. key driver for us. If they turn back to me and said, actually, we're cool on that market or not, or not, then I'd, I'd, that'd be a very, very important factor in our decision making. But on this expansion with South Africa, it was unanimous. Last question, guys. Martin, I suppose the Champions Cup, like I actually, oh, this is personal, I wouldn't have minded if the South African teams played in the Champions Cup. Now, when was that ever on the table? And did other clubs actually object against the South African teams getting into the Champions Cup? It was never on the table. Um, I talk, I mean, Obviously, you know, we talk to them all the time at EPCR, we're part of it. You know, we're involved in the decision-making process of it. Um, it just, it felt, it felt sensible to bring them into our competition first allow them the time to be competitive. Bear in mind, they're also still playing in Curry Cup. And they're in a re- it's really difficult to get onto our calendar when their contracts end after Curry Cup in November. To get them onto our calendar is going to take at least a year to two years just to get them playing to the same mm. pattern as us. To ask them to then play six rounds of Challenge Cup or Champions Cup just seems like a step too far. So we said to them, and I, uh, you know, it's a conversation we will have with EPCR, who who run the Champions Cup, um, is when those teams qualify, and it might be this year, but you know, when they qualify, we need to go back to the EPCR and say now it makes sense for us to have a conversation formally about you EPCR Champions Cup having a South African presence in the tournament, um, and hopefully that's a good thing for the Champions Cup too. You know, they can then expand their horizons around what that competition could mean. Mm. And that's it, folks. Uh, very interesting podcast, if I do say so myself. Um, not a lot more to say, really. Um, tonight we've got all the regions in action in pre-season games. Uh, the final preparations for the start of the season uh, for the first weekend of September. You know, there's not a long time to go now, so we're building up towards that. We've got live blogs of all the games tonight, and then we're full steam ahead to the start of the Guinness Pro 14 season. You'll catch all the re- previews, all the quotes pieces. And then obviously the live blogs and match reports when the season gets underway on Wales Online.